following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. That's on page 697 of the Church Bibles. Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading for today is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. That's on page 967 of your church Bibles. That's Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit and keep with keep in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children from Abraham. The axe has been laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, as we listen for your word, send your spirit of peace and fire upon us, we pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, I've got two questions for you about what you have noticed. The first is for people who come here regularly. Have you noticed that we started a series called The Root of Jesse on the 1st of September? And we've now finally come to the passage in the Bible which uses that very phrase. So this is a massive three-month-long spoiler. (laughs) Everything I'm going to say this morning you've already had over the past three months. Second question about what you've noticed. Have you noticed that there's an election this week? Uh, And I wonder how you feel about that. Um, I I wonder whether your heart leaps with joy because uh, you think there's the possibility of change here. I wonder whether your heart groans. Um, Maybe you think to yourself, what hope is there um, when leaders and would-be leaders seem to have such flawed characters? Or maybe all sorts of other thoughts and feelings come into your minds. But that is not a new question. I think people throughout the ages have been asking what hope is there when leaders and would-be leaders have such flawed characters. It's probably true that in our media-saturated age we are more aware of the flaws or possible flaws of would-be leaders. I think it remains an open question whether actually there's any difference in the situation compared with any previous ages. But I want to suggest that if you don't groan a bit in those circumstances, then perhaps you're living in a bubble that needs to be burst. Take notice of what's in the news. Bloodshed, oppression, violence, damage to the environment, poverty. It's a good thing to groan when you see those sorts of things. But let's be fair, Uh, No leader is up to fixing all of that. And for the whole world, not just for our domestic politics, it's a time of crisis. And what I mean by that is not that there is certain disaster, um, but there is a need to make choices at this sort of moment. I think that's what crisis means. And as a Christian, I turn my thoughts from fallible human beings to God, but even then, I sometimes groan. And I ask myself, in this broken world, what is God up to? I think that's a good question, and I don't find any simple answer to that. I wonder whether you do. In this world, what is God up to, this broken world? But I want to suggest that Advent is exactly the right sort of time to be chewing over that question. In this broken world, what is God up to? So let's have a look at how the two passages that's been read out for us speak to that question and how we might respond. What we had in the first and the second readings there are the words of two prophets, Isaiah, the first one, and then John in the second one. 
And the thing to note is that each of them was speaking at a time of national crisis for Israel. Something else to notice is that each of those prophets looks backwards as well as forwards. We sometimes think of prophets as people who are just looking to what lies in the future, but I want to try and draw something out on that. And what that means is that they offer some sort of perspective how to be less focused on just what's happening at this current moment because things have already happened and further things are going to happen. And there's going to be a very broad brush look because there's a lot of things in those two readings that we had. But what I want to do is to pick out the pictures that each of the two prophets uses and to give you some sort of sense of time scale because we're talking about things that happen over hundreds of years. This is an ambitious project, and you'll see just how ambitious in just a moment. Uh, but let's start with Isaiah. I have some visual aids this morning, and I want you to get a sense of timeline. So what I'd like you to imagine is that time moves from left to right across the, across the room here, uh, and we're putting down a marker here, which is Isaiah. Prepare to be amazed. There we go. So there's Isaiah. It says Isaiah on there in rather weak felt-tip pen, which is the best you can do on foil balloons here. But, but there's a marker for Isaiah, which from the point of view where I'm speaking here in the past, is, is, is in the past. That's a long way back there. Isaiah uses a lot of picture language, and in the passage that we had it there, you can see some of that. So let's have some pictures coming up behind me here. The first is a picture of new growth. I don't know whether you do any gardening, but you can think of the anxiety that I have each year when I try to grow beans, which is the only thing I can do, and you put the seed in, and you think, is anything going to come up? Um, but then there's that lovely moment where you say, yes, yes, something is here. Uh, my, my work is not in vain. The first fresh sign of life is just the shoot that appears out of the soil. Uh, a picture of new growth, but then a, a picture of a renewed world. So let's have our second picture. To be honest, I think there's been a bit of photoshopping going on in this one here. But it's a good picture of what Isaiah says, that a wolf will lie down with a lamb. Nothing destructive, no harm, a sense of peace. And crucially, it's a vision of God's final goal for the created world. Um, so, let's have a marker for that. How many boxes has he got this stage with things hidden underneath them? Somewhere over here, we have a renewed world. Can you see that? These things will probably rotate nicely so you can keep getting a reminder of, of what, they, what they stand for there. Picture of a new world, wolf and a lamb, but also um, one final picture. Don't bring it up just yet for a moment, Steve, but uh, it's a picture of new power because the shoot, Isaiah says, represents a person who is wise and understanding, wisdom and understanding, because the Spirit of the Lord rests on him. Now, this picture is not one that Isaiah uses, but uh, if we can bring up the, the next picture, Steve. Uh, the picture of the dove is a very good picture for us of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit poured out. And what I want you to notice is that it's the Spirit's work that holds together the new beginnings and the final thing that it grows into. It's the work of the Spirit that takes it from the thing on the left through to the thing on the right. So there's a, a uniting thing going on there. But Isaiah says more about the shoot. Why mention Jesse? Who? Do I remember what that is? 
Jesse lived 300 years before the time of Isaiah. And uh, here I cheated with the picture. The shoot comes from a stump. So should we correct the picture to what Isaiah actually said? Yes. Uh, It's actually a shoot not coming out of soil, but coming out of a stump. Why not just a picture of sowing new seed? Um, And I think the answer is because Isaiah is speaking to a devastated people. A stump has a history. Something has happened. And that's a picture of what has been going on. So if there's some history, we now need to go back in time. (laughs) And what we need to do is to go back in time to Samuel. So here we have Samuel. You remember that Samuel is an early prophet. Samuel is actually the first prophet to speak about the idea that a king is coming. Because Israel has not had a king before that. And he's also the first prophet to bring the big surprise, which is to say to Jesse, it's your son that is going to be that king. So we have Samuel as a marker there. Now, this is three months worth of sermons in very quick succession from here to here. We've got David becomes king, right? Don't need that there. David becomes king. Saul becomes king after him. King of a peaceful kingdom. There's no wars in Saul's time. There's a fight over the succession. The kingdom splits into two, so it's no longer a united kingdom. One kingdom is about to collapse when Isaiah is speaking, and another kingdom is going to collapse very shortly. So I've given you 300 years worth of history very rapidly there between Samuel and Isaiah. Crucially, the line of kings which is descended from Jesse is going to be cut down. There's the stump. It will not be obvious that there is any life left in the roots, and it will be devastating. That's the message. So if you're people in the time of Isaiah, you're going to groan, aren't you? Where is the peaceful kingdom promised here now? Where is it? Still in the heart of God, says Isaiah. A better king will come, the shoot. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. But look at the time scale. Since the kingdom split about here, It's taken 200 years up to the time of Isaiah before the word of hope comes through. If it takes that long for the note of hope to be sounded, how long is it going to take take before this stump actually produces a shoot? So there's Isaiah. Let's fast forward 700 years to the prophet John. Now, I have to announce to you that in rehearsal, John decided that he would prefer to be on the ceiling. So, <laughs> so I, I'm a marker for John. What you need to imagine is that I have a balloon here. and that my, this, this is John's position here, all right? John the Baptist. And as we move across from here to here, various prophets are saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And the last prophet to say, he is coming, the one is coming, is John the Baptist who comes here. John the Baptist looks forward and says, this person who's coming will pour out his spirit on other people. And that's the same picture as Isaiah is using, only it's magnified because it's not just that this person will be the embodiment of the spirit, but that person, Jesus, will pour out the spirit on other people. 
Not only will he be wise and understanding, but he will pour out the spirit that can make other people wise and understanding as well. Many people, multiplication. John looks forwards, but John also looks back. He mentions Abraham, uh, and on this time scale, Abraham is 2,000 years before the time of John. So I'm not going to do the run, but way, way back over there is Abraham, and I haven't got a balloon for it. But just get that sense of time scale. The point that John is making is that being descended from Abraham is no guarantee whatsoever of producing wise leaders. In 2,000 years worth of time of people descended from Abraham, we're still presented with a situation where the present ruling council, which is full of Sadducees and Pharisees, are a bad bunch. And John the Baptist reuses the same picture as Isaiah. He says, you are like trees in danger of being cut down. The axe is at the root of the trees. The same picture, but more alarming, really. And think what that means, that at the time when John is speaking and Jesus has not yet appeared, that the vision of the peaceable kingdom, the first signs of which came with Solomon, seem no nearer to coming about than when Isaiah spoke about it. And John says this will not happen without repentance. It will require changed hearts. And it will not happen without the Spirit being poured out. The work of the Spirit is the crucial ingredients. So think again, the people in John's time, would you not be groaning as well? But hard on the heels of John the Baptist, we have Jesus. And we have lit candles today as a reminder that the light has come into the world. Hard on the heels, so I'm going to move that a little bit over here. Just after John the Baptist and without even a lectern in between. Suddenly, hope is rekindled. Suddenly, the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus is poured out into the world. Light is a good image for that. But it is not a quick fix. It's a final result of all the work that God has been doing through all of these centuries with the final coming of Jesus. So, what does this say to us? I think one important thing it says to me is that if you want to see what God is doing in a broken world, then you need to look at more than just present events. Get some perspective. So can I do a, a walk of 2,000 years? Um, this is a, for, for mathematicians among you, this is a logarithmic scale because I haven't got enough space here. You must imagine 2,000 years compressed slightly here. But as we walk on through 2,000 years since the time of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is being steadily poured out People are steadily turning to Jesus. People's lives are being renewed. And many of you here know what it's like personally to have a life renewed by the work of the Spirit when you trust in the gospel of Christ. That's happening continuously. So that by the time we get 2,000, 2000 years to our time, um, about 2 billion people in the world at the moment are Christians. That's about one-third of the population of the world. Here... Nobody had yet heard of Jesus. Here, billions and billions of people. That's God at work. And it has an impact at a collective level too. Uh, in this and in many other countries, we just expect that governments will change peacefully. We may not always be happy with the governments we get, but that's the result of a long tradition now that governments can change peacefully. In my lifetime, there have been many examples, I think, of where uh, there's been a complete overthrow of the system of government and it has happened peacefully. 
many? I'm not sure. Um, certainly, the fall of the Berlin Wall happened with virtually no violence. The transition from apartheid in South Africa happened with very little violence. And in both cases, there were lots of Christians involved in making that happen. And I read a very heartening newsletter from Musalaha, which is a peacemaking organization in the Middle East recently, uh, which was pointing out that although the so-called Arab Spring about 10 years ago, um, in some ways just descended into violence, that in those very same countries now, there are activist movements amongst young people saying, we must have better change than that, and it must be non-violent. Not all the people doing that are Christians, but a lot of what's happening is the result of the work that the Holy Spirit has been doing. So as we look backwards over 2,000 years, we can see that God continues to do what he does in the world. But as we look forwards, whatever lies in that direction, we can see that being realistic, the world as a whole is not yet renewed. It's more renewed than it was back there, but it's not a finished project. We can see that in the picture there, the wolf is not yet lying down with the lamb. And we don't know where to position ourselves in relation to this. <laughs> it could be that when Jesus returns and the renewal is then made complete, that that can happen tomorrow. It may be that I need to put that somewhere three miles down over there. I don't know that. All I know is that I'm on this side of it. So we have Samuel, we have Isaiah as prophets, we have John, <laughs> all speaking about the light that was to come. And we have a world which has been renewed and continues to be renewed as we speak and pray now. So what is God up to now? Well, I think part of the answer is that he's working to call godly, wise people into government. To use the, the picture, the metaphor that Isaiah and John use, God is constantly planting new trees, better government, better leaders, but he's also cutting down diseased ones. And anywhere where there is no sound root left, where nothing more can come out of that stump, I believe that God may allow circumstances which take the tree right out. Systems of governments can go, regimes can fall. And so God's work is double-edged. It's the planting and it's also the cutting down when it's rotten. It's slow work and it's patient work. And perhaps we groan in amongst that, can not God not get on with it a bit faster? That's understandable. But I want to say that if we're groaning at the state of things, then God groans more. God feels all of that much more intensely than we do because his goal is nothing more than the final renewal of the whole of creation. What can we do in times of crisis? Well, I just want to pick out two things. The first is to remember where things are going. There is hope. Maybe you like to put a picture of a wolf and a lamb on your wall. It's just a reminder when you pray that we are nearer the goal than when we first believed. Keep that in mind. But the second thing we can do is to turn the groaning into prayer, which is really what the whole of Romans chapter 8 is about. When you pray, something always happens, but you know, may not be able to see what it is. Some sort of change becomes possible, possibly some sort of change that you can help to bring about. And we can all pray in this crisis, help me to make good choices.
My choices won't be the only ones being made, but I can do the best to make the ones that God asks me to. And I want to suggest that one reason for lighting these candles at the start of the service is that we say as Christians together, we groan for the state of the world, but we do not despair. There is light. So I'm going to leave you with some words from William Broderick, who is a monk. Um, I found these very helpful. William Broderick says, we have to be candles burning between hope and despair, faith and doubt, life and death, all the opposites. That's the disquieting place where people must always find us. And if our life means anything, if what we are goes beyond the church walls and does some good, it is that somehow by being here at peace, we help the world cope with what it cannot understand. Should we just hold that thought in prayer as we finish? God of peace, help us to understand what it means to make peace and what it costs to make peace. And give us grace to pray for your continued ruling and renewing in the world. Through Christ who came to make that possible. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.